0: i'm miles and i'm alex we like football and here are our six picks okay so we just uh we're on super bowl weekend and something that recently happened were the nfl honors awards so uh as you may know or not know the awards go as defensive rookie of the year micah parsons offensive rookie of the year jamar chase comeback player of the year Joe Burrow, Offensive Player of the Year; Cooper Cup, Defensive Player of the Year; T.J. Watt and MVP, Aaron Rodgers. Okay, so there's a lot to get into here. Uh, first of all, Miles, do you want to tap it, uh, tackle the topic of uh, Micah Parsons? Because I don't think this one will last that long.
1: Yeah, I just want to say that Micah Parsons' ceiling is so unbelievably high. I know he said he had like a quote earlier this season where he said. Damn, i really thought the nfl would be harder or something like that like he is (laughs) athletically just so gifted and the way the cowboys used him was he was just a jack of all traits he was good in coverage he was able to rush the passer but he was also a really talented and really really good tackler like he was a sure tackler and he could just do everything really really well at a high level so
0: there's no real complaints about his game yeah
1: yeah no and he's just um, just really, really good, and also it'd be look. I mean, look at like what he did in the Pro Bowl that one race that he had. I yeah. know it's very good to try and get that one race in the Pro Bowl, but Micah Parsons still he out. literally,
0: won. yeah, he outraced yeah. uh Nick Chubb and forgot who the
1: other person hey, was, Diggs, I believe. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Diggs. a bunch of right. like a bunch of like skill position players and a linebacker outsprinted all of them. You know what I mean? He probably so, has like
0: 40 more pounds than all of them, yeah. Like the fact that, he, yeah, he's one of the fastest linebackers we've ever seen.
1: Yeah, so it'll just be really fun to watch him throughout these next years, and I know a lot of people did want him to win Defensive Player of the Year, especially yeah. a lot of Cowboys fans, and I'll say, maybe not this year, but just, no. knowing, just, yeah, just knowing how good he can be, though, I think he, we might be looking at Defensive yeah. Player of the Year in the next year. Yeah, year he's,
0: he's had the craziest start to uh, defensive careers that we've seen since mm-hmm. Lawrence Taylor, the defensive goat himself. I agree, yeah um and he he honestly had a better chance of winning uh defensive player of the year than he had a chance of losing defensive rookie of the year so that kind of speaks for itself okay now on the offensive rookie of the year jamar chase i would like to say this is pretty non-controversial non-con, uh, but you got mac jones fans i am a mac jones fan of myself but let's be realistic jamar chase like i would say he had a better season than justin jefferson and justin jefferson probably had like like one of the best rookie wide receiver seasons ever so you know jamar chase he's having like he's having one of the or he had one of or he's having it. Yeah, he still has the super bowl left but one of the craziest uh one of the craziest uh, seasons ever he racked up so many yards he was a big threat receiver i believe he had two games where he at least uh got 200 yards or at least he got pretty close to him and you know the Bengals they a great end of the season and you know, no way Jamar Chase doesn't win this award.
1: Yeah, and I really feel like just down the stretch of what we've seen in the playoffs out of him really shows that although he was a rookie this year, he's just have not played like a rookie at all. He's stepped no. up in big moments, and he's become a number one, like a real number sure. one yeah. around like a really talented group of wide receivers in T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd. And, I mean, all I can really say is... I'm just I'm just like flabbergasted by how good this guy is, and it's crazy to think that you and I both agreed on the fact that uh, they should put they should pick Panay Sewell over Jamar Chase when we were yeah. talking about pre-draft coverage and we were talking about what the Bengals should do uh, with their draft pick. We thought that they should draft Sewell, the offensive tackle from um, Oregon, over Jamar Chase because we said that you need to protect Joe Burrow. But you know, Joe Burrow and you know the Bengals organization both agreed that Jamar Chase would be the best thing for them, and you know I didn't that was, see that. Yeah, that but, was a controversial you know, pick. Yeah, they, they were, got a lot of right though, they got yeah. a lot of flack for it,
0: but that was a f- really good pick. Probably you know, yeah. especially the pressure they had to pick tackle. Yeah, is tackle an issue? Of course, it's probably the downfall of their team if they do lose this game. But um, Jamar Chase is, is having such a historic season that. You know, you just got to address the star player if you have him at five. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Comeback player of the year, Joe Burrow. Um, Now, this one's kind of more difficult because it factors in how hard a player had to come back. So Joe Burrow, in his rookie season, he tore an ACL. And the context of when he tore the ACL, like, this was right around when Justin Herbert started getting, like, a lot of eyes on him. Because this was when people realized Justin Herbert was kind of like that, like Justin Herbert was that guy. You know what I mean? And then Joe Burrow goes down. So, like, Joe Burrow, he didn't really have a chance at that. He probably wasn't going to win it either way, but, like, his rookie season got cut short, so he didn't get a chance at offensive rookie of the year. Felt pretty bad for the guy, and he also tore his AC on the process, which is not a good injury by any means. That takes you out for a while. Um, but he came back, led the Bengals to a an a, a AFC North uh, title, and then he led them to the AFC title, and now he's, he may lead them to the Super Bowl title. Uh, yeah, I think this was the right choice. The other, the other two good, like decent choices were Bosa and Dak, but I think Burrow had just too crazy a season going off of an ACL injury to not give it to him.
1: Yeah, and I also think you have to take into factor what happened with the Bengals that season compared to this season, and it's all because of Joe Burrow, you know what I mean? You have to give credit to the organization and Zach Taylor and obviously Jamar Chase, but the reason why they're successful and the reason why they're in the Super Bowl is because of Joe Burrow, you know what I mean? And also just the mental – I feel like the mental strain it takes on a player, especially to tear ACL. 'Cause that's rehab, that's reworking your knee for at least nine to twelve months and then possibly more than that. And that might have been an injury you fully ever recover from. And to, for you that for that to happen to you in your rookie season, especially when you already felt like all the eyes were on you, I mean, that's like really mentally like hard. But yeah. Joe Burrow of all people, I mean, I mean, knowing what he's been through, he had the qualities to come back and show us exactly who he was and be even better than he was in his rookie season. So <laughs> just mentally and physically it's just like it's just insane what we've seen this year from him okay yeah
0: now we're on to cooper cup offensive player of the year to me yeah jonathan taylor had a great season but this is a no-brainer cooper cup had a historically great like this like jonathan taylor had a great great season but cooper cup this is a top five receiving season of all time cooper cup is like second in yards all time i know he has that extra game but You know, that's just how the NFL works sometimes. That's why you don't hear about guys like Don Hudson and uh, Jim Brown, who both had 11 games to work with as much as you hear like Barry Sanders and Randy Moss. But like, you know, Joe, I mean, uh, Cooper Cup, yeah, he had that extra game, but he won a triple crown. We cannot deny receivers who've won triple crown. Just for for a reminder, the triple crown is most touchdowns, most receptions, and uh, most yards. And he had all those, and that's how you get the triple crown. And he's the first wide receiver in a while to do it. I don't see how you don't give it to the triple crown winner. I think this is a great pick. Cooper Cup had a historically
1: great season, and he's playing in the Super Bowl because of it. Yeah, and I think the reason why it feels like, I don't know, I'm so hyped up about this is because we've seen Cooper Cups progression throughout the season. Yeah. But not just this season. You know, He obviously had to step up when Robert Woods went out, but just before this, <laughs> Um, just throughout his entire career, I saw a clip recently. It was actually Cooper Cup in high school, and he wasn't supposed to go to like he wasn't supposed to go to football for like, he wasn't supposed to do football in college. Like he was projected to probably stop playing like football in high school because he was undersized. He was a little bit on the skinnier side, and he was not very athletic. So he went to a smaller. Uh, I think he went. To, he might have went to Division Two school. I believe it was Eastern Washington, and then he grinded from there. I think he. I mean, he balled out in college, but obviously it was at yeah. a lower division school. But then he ended up getting drafted by the Rams. And he's yeah. progressed and he's worked really, really hard to be exactly where he is today. And I really feel like he's just discredited because of the fact that he's not, like, he does a lot of the small stuff. Like the Rams' offense yeah. would not work the same way without him. But one of the biggest reasons why it wouldn't is because he's such a factor in the blocking game, actually. Yeah. He's actually like vital to their run game as a wide receiver. And like those type of things, along with like his, his like, his like personality and just not being a selfish player, which some receivers really can be. And him just kind of just being like a really, really just like humble, hardworking guy, just like goes yeah. all into like what he's become as a player. I really just dislike the fact that a lot of people are still sleeping on him. And I really hope he balls out on Sunday just to show the world, like Cooper cup is great. You know what I mean? Yeah, but-
0: if, if you got money and you got, uh, you're looking at Cooper cup for super bowl MVP, you know, I wouldn't tell you that's a, that's a bad pick. You know what I mean? Like, he may be higher than other wide receivers on that, but, man, Cooper Cup is crazy. Uh, also, shouts out to Cooper Cup's uh, wife, if you know the story with her. Uh, I, I just remembered it, like, remembering uh, that he went to a small college. His wife believed in him all the way. I believe it was his girlfriend at the time, but uh, now his wife, they have kids together now. Uh, but, you know, she was working a full-time job 40 hours while he was playing football, and, you know, now she gets to be the wife of a Triple Crown historic, like, player. So, you know, shouts out Cooper Cuff's wife. That's, a, that's like, that's the, best, yeah, that's a that's dope the story. best holding down you can ever get. Yeah. That. So that was just a great story that I just remembered. Okay, now on the Defensive Player of the Year, TJ Watt, bro. Finally, finally it's been – okay, okay. We have may disagree on this. So I'm not sure how he feels about it. But um, so TJ Watt, he had three seasons uh, where he could have won Defensive Player of the Year the um, first one he lost to uh Gilmore who had who was a cornerback uh Stefan Gilmore, he was a cornerback for the Patriots at the time. He had a great season. And then he lost to Aaron Donald, uh the second one, and that was and Aaron Donald had a great season. Uh well, had great season about those. And then he finally beat Michael Parsons this time. Uh, I don't think he should have won that one against Stefan Gilmore, but that was honestly the most 50-50 one ever. Like you could have given it to either one of them. And the, the Aaron Donald one, I thought like I, the Aaron Donald one was kind of mind baffling because I know Aaron Donald does get a lot of pressure and he does have a he has a, a big center of gravity. Everybody goes to him and stuff. Um, but T.J. Watt just balled out that season completely. And it's good to see T.J. Watt finally get one because I was worried he would kind of be the Drew Brees of defense where he does a good, like, every single season, and he always gets those second-place finishes in defensive player of the year. But, I mean, or an MVP for Drew Brees' case, but just never quite gets it. But he finally got one, and he really deserved this one. He tied Michael Strahan's sack record. So he is now, historically, uh, he, he now has the sack record. He shared it with Michael Strahan. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, and I really feel like, just specifically in 2020, I really felt like that was T.J. Watt's year, but he really, yeah. really outdid himself and had seven yeah. and a half more sacks and three more forced fumbles and just really stepped up for the Steelers' defense. I know last year the Steelers were credited with having like the best defense in the NFL, you know what I mean? But like yeah. I really feel like this year, and especially in that playoff game versus the Chiefs, like he was giving his team like everything. You know what I mean? Yeah, T.J. Watt
0: was like he deserved to be there. The Steelers didn't we'll put it that way. You know what I yeah.
1: mean? Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And Honestly, it just really it's just really good to see because I mean he's just been working really hard, very clearly. Yeah. He's just like it really gave it his all to like his to this team and his organization. So it's just good to see him being paid off so well.
0: Yeah, he should have two, but I'm glad he's got at least one. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. Uh now let's see. Aaron Rodgers for MVP. Okay, I'll I'll keep it brief on here because I don't wanna go off on a tangent about this, but Aaron Rodgers wasn't not a lot of people would have had him playing for the Packers this season. He came back, had one of the he probably had the worst week one out of any other quarter out of any quarterback, and he just completely bounced back. You know, even in some of his losses, he played really well. Like if you look at the loss versus the Vikings, you know he he was balling out. I think he had a 140 passer rating, and you know he was just balling out. Aaron Rodgers did the controversial pick was some people were thinking Tom Brady, uh, but. You know, Aaron Rodgers had about 200 less pass attempts. Tom Brady broke the record for pass attempts. So I think this is a good pick. Aaron Rodgers gets his fourth. Packers were the, the one seed. He did everything he could in the regular season.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I, I think that this is the right choice for MVP. But for me, the real question is now, what go, what happens from here? Because if I'm not mistaken, no MVP has ever left his team following an MVP, and no MVP has ever retired, you know, following receiving that award. So. It'll be interesting to see what happens from here. Obviously, we've heard a lot of rumors about Denver, and we've heard various things about whether he's going to be traded, whether he's going to be cut, which is unlikely. But there's obviously always going to be speculation, especially when Aaron Rodgers does keep that type of stuff open, and he's you know usually pretty honest with the media about how he feels. But it'll be interesting to see what happens from here, but I think this is a really good, you know, this is a really great season yeah. from him, and he fully deserves this award. We'll have to wait until the, the Pat McAfee
0: show episode whenever it is for uh, when it happens because he said he'd announce it on there. So, yeah. Okay. That, that sums up the award reviews. I think we all like the award reviews. Okay. Now we're on the division recap, Mouse, You want to take this one?
1: Yeah, sure. So I just want to first talk about the Bengals versus Chiefs game. And this game, if anything, was really the final, like the final, like solidification of the legend of Joe Burrow. If if it wasn't already clear in everybody's minds following the the wild card game and the divisional game, this was the game that made America realize Joe Burrow is that guy. Joe Burrow is Joe Cool. And man, this is this is just like I don't know. This is just a legendary game from him because the Bengals were down twenty one to three, I believe, at one point, and just to see them come back in the way that they did. Like all all the cards just kind of just fell in their hands, and they just were able to win that game just by I don't even know just momentum really because the Chiefs had all the momentum going into the second half, but they just kind of fell off, and then the Bengals defense started to make plays, and you know the Bengals offense found their footing, and Joe Burrow had some crazy plays where he just was looked like he was about to be sacked like a good two or three times, and then he got out of the pocket. Ever Dude, since
0: that uh, that late quarter, or that late second quarter, you know, with the late touchdown from the Bengals in the second quarter, and that Eli Apple, uh, like, he actually stopped the touchdown by... Yeah, uh, yeah the one the good last, thing he did
1: that day. Yeah, he had
0: the last second tackle against uh, Tyreek Hill, and, you know, he went on Twitter and he talked so much about that one, but, you know, he really did save them from getting seven points, and the game wouldn't have gone into overtime if uh, Andy Reid wasn't so aggressive there, so, you know. The Chiefs' aggressiveness did fail them there, and it was a combination of just the offense clicking and the Chiefs' offense panicking. The Chiefs' offense looked unstoppable in that first quarter. You would see, you know, when the Bengals would make some good plays and they would get pressure on defense, Mahomes literally would do a spin out like 360 and throw it at Kelsey in the end zone. So you can't really, can't really beat that when you just got, you know, the Chiefs' offense clicking, but... Uh the best way to describe it is the Bengals really took advantage of the Chiefs not uh not playing so well and the Bengals just jumped on it they got the momentum you know they did have some mess ups they had a field goal with like 7 minutes left that you know maybe would have been better to be a touchdown but you know the Bengals did everything they they could to turn it around and you know it worked out successfully
1: Yeah I also just feel like I don't know. This game in general was this kind of maddening for the Chiefs, but I really feel like what happened to the what happened to the Bills, you know, how unlucky they were oh. for the 13 seconds is just kind of like that was just karma for the way, you know, the way things went for the Chiefs in that game. And honestly, in that second half, the Bengals have seriously looked like they wanted it more.
0: Really? They, they yeah.
1: really, they really just put it all out there. I also want to note Evan McPherson is like actually having one of the greatest kicker seasons of all time. He is yeah. perfect in the playoffs. Had a really good regular season, and he's had, I believe, now two walk off field goals to win playoff games, and they're they were both on the road. So I don't know, man. He yeah, has yeah. ice in his veins. I don't want to jinx him, so I just knocked on my table. It's knocked on wood really quick. So just gotta hope that he that he shows up in the Super Bowl. But I don't know, yeah. you if you're a kicker and you say let we're, we're going to the AFC, we're going to the AFC championship <laughs> that <is cold>. before <laughs> he's you kick the too. kick. <laughs> that is cold. cold. That is cold. Yeah, that 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 kid has I said his veins, especially for a rookie so I hope yeah. that he gets a chance to you know kick a game winner in the Super Bowl. Yeah.
0: And uh, the NFC the NFC conference championship that got us here. You know that was an interesting one. You saw the 49ers another Kyle Shanahan lead at halftime. We know how those go. <laughs> and then you saw um the 49ers kind of collapse. Now the difference maker in this in this game was offense. Uh, now I'm referring to the quarterback position specifically, because if you look at if you look at they both got really good receiving quarters. You got George Kittle, great tight end. You got maybe one of the best one-two punches in the league, and in, uh, in Cooper Cup and uh, Odell Beckham. Uh, and you also have Debo Samuel, one of I believe he called himself a wide back. He doesn't even have a position right now, but um, you know that was that was just. The, the deciding factor of that game was quarterback play. Jimmy Garoppolo threw a terrible late pick uh, in, in which he did call miles, And, uh, you know, it, it would be very uncharacteristic for Jimmy Garoppolo to sell a game-winning drive in an important uh, situation. So, you know, yeah. after that Jaquiski dart uh, or Jaquaski tart dropped interception, uh, things kind of went downhill, and it was the Rams game after that.
1: Yeah. Just this game really showed what happens when the Rams, like, more specifically, what happens when Matthew Stafford gets into a role in the second half. Because if I recall correctly, like, I don't think Cooper Cup, like, or even, and I think OBJ had a good first half, but Cooper Cup did not have a good first half. He just had maybe had like three receptions. Yeah, but he, he certainly, yeah, he certainly outshined
0: himself in the second
1: half. Yeah, so. Cooper cup ended up dropping 11 receptions for 142 yards and two touchdowns. Mm. And OBJ had nine for 113. And if I'm not mistaken, this was Joey, I mean, sorry, this was OBJ's like first hundred yard game. And then maybe like, maybe since he was playing in Cleveland. So it's been, Something like that, yeah. it's been, it's been a long time and it was really good for him to show up in the biggest moment. It really justifies the trade if it hasn't already. But yeah, I think this game is just a good representation of who Matt Stafford is as a quarterback, like responds to adversity, but can sometimes start, you know. He puts himself in a hole that he has to dig himself out of. But when he digs himself out of the hole, it's like, it's crazy. But, uh, yeah, I would, I would just say like the forty ers just couldn't really establish a run game, and that really, really hurt them. And that they really the just they had, to, had to, they really had to rely on like their defense making stops and hope, hoping that Jimmy Garoppolo would make throws that Jimmy Garoppolo usually can't make consistently. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, Jimmy Garoppolo
0: when, can be serviceable at times, but you know, not compared to Matt Stafford, and yeah, he like you were saying, he just sometimes can't make those plays, you need him to play, and that's honestly the difference maker in this game. Okay, let's see, what do we have next? Uh, we have the matchups to watch, Miles, would you like to,
1: what's the matchup you're looking forward to? I want to hear from you on this one. All right, so. Matchups would just be some matchups in the Super Bowl that we're really looking forward to. It could be position groups versus, like, you know, it could be like offense versus defense. It could be receiving cores versus one another, or it could be players versus players. But in my case, I'm going to be choosing coach versus coach. So we have two very, two very young, like, extremely young head coaches that are very offensively minded, but have really, really had great seasons. So Sean McVay is 36, Zach Taylor is 38, and they're a little bit, they come from different sides of the spectrum. I mean, McVay, his first five seasons, all had a winning record and has consistently been regarded to as a top 10 head coach in this league. While on the other hand, Taylor had two losing seasons to begin his coaching career. He had a combined six wins in two seasons, but look where he is now, he's in the Super Bowl. Both these guys yeah. have ended up in the same place, but they both have very different ways of getting here mcvay has been here before, and Taylor never has. But this will be a really interesting matchup, and hopefully, we'll keep on seeing these two coaches back here again because this could be really interesting because they're both extremely young, so they have so many years ahead of them. Hopefully, so I- I'd be I'd be really surprised if we don't see at least McVeigh here again, and maybe Taylor depending on what happens with the Bengals but um this is yeah yeah.
0: it's very interesting this is McVay's first Super Bowl that uh he's actually the more experienced one because as you know in his other Super Bowl uh versus Bill Belichick you know he was facing a Patriots team that I think won either four or five uh Super Bowls together that's like the Brady Belichick team something like that and he kind of put up a stinker on offense on the plane. You know, they only got three points that game. It was probably the most boring Super Bowl I think I've ever watched. And I think most people who've seen it can agree with that. Uh, I think I believe it was called the punt Pole because Johnny Hecker was having the best punting Super Bowl ever, but <laughs> that was really the highlight of it. Uh, but, yeah, he's uh, – but, yeah, Sean McVay the um, – more experienced one here. And Zach Taylor, I believe he still has a negative record on coaching. Not that I'm saying it, it's his fault. He inherited a very toxic situation and a very bad situation. But, you know, he's really turned that around. And I believe this is this is an establishing, establishment game for Sean McVay. And if he can establish himself and win this game, I think we may be talking about him in all-time coaches, especially given his age and his potential going forward. Same goes for Zach Taylor. If he turns around this organization, that'll be extremely impressive. But I believe it's it's McVeigh's coaching battle to lose. That's the best way I would describe it,
1: yeah, I, I definitely agree. Just as the Bengals are, in this case, the worst team, like the Rams are a better team than the Bengals. I think McVeigh is a better coach than Zach Taylor, and he's more experienced. So this is really like the this is the Rams game to lose in my opinion, and is specifically in this matchup, it's McVeigh's like coaching game to lose. So we'll see how it goes, but I do trust that McVeigh will put together a different game plan than he did against the Patriots because I don't think he's gonna I don't think he's let that slip his mind, you know, being an offensive minded head coach and only putting up three points in a Super Bowl.
0: I don't think he he slept the night after that one yet. Okay. Let's see. For other matchups I put I'm gonna keep this one brief because there's not really a lot to talk about, but Bengals O-line versus Rams D line. Now that's gonna be a scary one. We're talking about the Bengals O line that gave up nine sacks less than a month ago to the Titans. Titans are like it, like Titans are, don't get me wrong, they're a pretty good defense, pretty underrated. But compared to the Titans one to the Rams defense, it's looking scary for Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow played amazing in that Titans, or not amazing, but he played serviceable given the conditions he was under, and he was he was bullied that game, basically. So, you know, this Bengals O-line, you know, I don't think if you picked Penesuo over Jamar Chase in the draft, like we, were, like we were talking earlier, it's like you look at the Bengals O-line and you understand why. You know what I mean? It's not like, of course, Jamar Chase was the good pick. there. I'm not saying Penesuo is a bad player. He's a great player. But this Bengals O-line is horrible right now. And uh, quite frankly, if the Bengals were to lose, I believe that's going to be the thing that everybody's going to point to. Because it's probably going to be them given their current history. You know what I mean? So, yeah. And let's also look at the Rams side of it. The Rams side includes Aaron Donald, uh, Von Miller, and a crazy secondary to support that. So, you know, it's not like they're going to be getting any throws off. It's going to be a long battle between the two. You know what I mean? So, kind of feeling kind of feeling bad for the Bengals of the line here. This is... If they win this matchup somehow, that would be crazy, but... I don't think anybody expects
1: that. Yeah, I think what would be really scary is what we see happen to the Chiefs last year against the Buccaneers, where Patrick Mahomes was literally harassed the entire <laughs> game by JPP uh, and Dominican Sue and that entire uh, Bucks pass rush. Like they were in the backfield all night, every single play, and Patrick Mahomes was fighting for his life, and it literally killed the Chiefs they could not do anything against that defense and it would really suck to see Joe Burrow's first opportunity at a Super Bowl to pretty much just be killed like he there's nothing that Patrick Mahomes could have done in that game to win that game there's nothing he could have done when he had a set, like he had literally a second to throw the ball in a clean pocket before it literally combusted and it just destroyed on him so i mean i really hope that doesn't happen to Joe Burrow but if you look at this if you look at the players on the like on the defensive line of the rams it's 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 scary. It's scary to think about, and I really hope that we get to see Joe Burrow. You know, keep on playing throughout this game because if what happens with the Titans, you know, with nine sacks, I mean, it could really, it could really end up being like ten sacks plus this game.
0: Yeah, yeah. This,
1: this, this would not be good for Joe Burrow if uh, they put up another thing uh, like they did
0: against the Titans. Um. Yeah, this is kind of a scary matchup. Okay, for my uh for my other matchup i have the two quarterbacks the two quarterbacks were at number nine i got uh matthew stafford who was put in he was also a number one pick like joe burrow both number one picks both looking good coming out of college both getting in the nfl um and matthew stafford what a ride he's had to to be here finally at the rams um he started off in detroit uh had you know, some some serviceable seasons there. They made the playoffs twice, didn't win a playoff game, and now he's here in the Super Bowl directly after leaving them. You know, it's so sad that uh, even Detroit sports shops, they're selling <laughs> Detroit Rams shirts, <laughs> which, like, they're all cheering for Stafford, and that just shows you how poverty the Lions are. So, you know, the Detroit Rams shirts are literally, like, the perfect example of, you know, how Stafford got here. Um, and Joe Burrow, he had probably... I don't think a lot of people would dispute this, but the greatest college season all time all time by a quarterback got drafted in the NFL towards ACL and then completely turned the franchise around just like that. So you know, we've seen Joe Burrow make those clutch runs, make those clutch throws, one on like a third down. And we've seen Matthew Stafford have his second uh second uh we've seen him have his second half pop off, so you know. Honestly, this matchup is probably going to be the second most important matchup of the game because, you know, whichever quarterback feels more comfortable is the quarterback that's going to do uh, better. And honestly, it's kind of ironic that Joe Burrow's only had two seasons inside the uh, NFL, but he's probably more experienced in these big games because of college, you know what I mean? Stafford hasn't really been in a lot of playoff games. I think he only has like two more playoff games than Joe Burrow, and he's been in the NFL for like 10 years. so. Honestly, whichever quarterback among these two could feel more comfortable is the quarterback that's gonna do better.
1: Yeah. I really it's really interesting to look at, you know, how their career paths have gone because when you look at what happened to Matt Stafford and he feel and you feel like his best years, at least his younger years, were really wasted in Detroit. I kind of predicted that to happen to Joe Burrow because of what I thought about the Bengals organization. I thought that he'd be in a similar spot to Matthew Stafford, maybe around year five or six, everybody recognizes, yeah, this guy's a great quarterback, but his team sucks and his organization is pretty incompetent. But, you know, obviously Joe Burrow's here now only in his second year, and it took, you know, it took Stafford ten plus years to get to the spot where he is at right now. But now they're here, so we'll see how this goes. And honestly, these are just these are just two guys you can't not root for. I mean, if you were trying to explain to somebody who doesn't watch football, this isn't the type of game where where you can say, oh, yeah, well, this is the underdog and this is the, everybody, the team that everybody wants to lose. Obviously, the Bengals are underdogs, but the Rams, at least in the way that they play and having like the players that they have, they play with an underdog mindset as well. And yeah. I don't know. This is just America's game. This is like this is just the matchup that, you know, you the, love to see. This is the the matchup matchup perfect. This yeah, is like, exactly. If...
0: Yeah, I was looking at the – I believe me and you we were talking about uh, the possible Super Bowls once we were in the conference championships, and this was the one we were hoping for, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. But I'm just glad the 49ers or the, the Chiefs didn't get in here so we can see the people Super Bowl and, you know, whichever quarterback feels more comfortable among those two is the quarterback that can move on.
1: Most definitely, yeah. All right, so for my third – or sorry, for our fourth matchup, I want to talk about Jamar Chase versus Jalen Ramsey. So this is two-star players, and J- Ramsey is a cornerback, and he is known as an aggressive man-to-man corner. He's he's pretty well known for having a a reputation to talk a lot of smack, to definitely get into there, and get inside the opposing wide receiver's head, and he plays no games, and that and this like just as a player, he's intimidating. He is really intimidating. He definitely has a swagger to him as well that is just like. It'd be pretty scary to go up against, and he backs down from nobody. But Jamar Chase, he's had no reason to back down from nobody. He's been able to exploit literally every single defense he's played against this year. So it'll be a really interesting matchup. Jamar is definitely like an an exceptional route runner, but even, even beyond that, he's a great deep threat. He wins the ball in 50 50 matchups. He has speed to get down the field, but also he's pretty, he's pretty really pretty like you know good underneath he could take like a screen pass like 20 or 30 yards he had like a 50 yard like uh reception against the Titans just from a screen pass so I mean there's some things that he could do that could punish Jalen's aggressiveness but also Jalen is more you know experienced in these type of situations and possibly he'd get to Jamar but this is really going to be an exciting matchup to watch throughout the entire game and i wouldn't be surprised if the rams do leave Ramsey and one-on-one coverage with jamar if you have and you, i i definitely think the rams think this if they have the best corner in the nfl they're gonna they're gonna keep him one-on-one with Jamar. You know what i mean yeah. that's just kind of what you do and you kind of have to trust in him that he's going to be able to cover him and the real question is just how will that go because there's a lot of ways that that could happen and i do think that jamar will be the victor in this matchup because of because of just like how 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 the Bengals will use him? The Bengals will feed him the ball. He's going to get a he's going to get a fair amount of catches, but at the end of the day, is Ramsey able to stop the big play? Is going to be the question.
0: His aggressiveness—that's the biggest factor in this matchup—and you know how well he can uh, jump balls and how well he can uh, pick them off is. It's going to be the factor in this matchup because Jamar Chase is going to be the ideal target for Joe Burrow. They went to college together. They were both considered the best of their positions going into the respectful drafts. And, you know, they got too much similar, to be honest. You know, their dad shared the same name, Jimmy Burrow and Jimmy Chase. You know, they were seen after that uh, Chiefs game, uh, smoking <laughs> smoking the victory cigars that uh, they're both known for. So, you know, going to be an interesting matchup. And, uh you know, looking forward to see how in to see how that Joe Burrow to uh Jamar Chase uh tandem can be messed up by Jalen Ramsey potentially because you know, if there's someone who can fuck up a good time and, you know, make you hate your day, it's Jalen Ramsey, you know, he's the shit talker himself. He's probably the villain for like wide receivers. Like nobody wants to go against Ramsey. He's he's known for this, you know what I mean? Jalen Ramsey is the most established player in the secondary in the NFL right now, and I think that's Kind of hard to argue. So, yeah, it's a great matchup. Okay. Now, for our next topic, we have um, Bengals analysis by me and Rams analysis by Miles. So, uh, Miles, would you like to go first with the Rams analysis?
1: I would love to go first. So, I predicted in our wild card episode, I predicted as the last topic, what team do you think can make a Super Bowl run right now? I said, If everything goes to plan for the Rams, they will find themselves in the Super Bowl. If they do the right thing and don't turn over the ball, they will end up in the Super Bowl, and here they are. But the same thing holds true. What the Rams cannot do is turn over the football. The Rams need to control the clock, and they need to keep the ball. I think it's vital that the Rams establish a run game, because what you don't want to do is get in the shootout with the Bengals. That's a game that the Bengals feel like they can win, so... Keeping the ball on the ground, controlling the clock, and keeping the ball out of Joe Burrow's hand is vital for this game. Now, I know it's I know it's a bit questionable how Matt Stafford is going to play, but I have no doubt in my mind that Stafford will be fine by the second half. I'm sure he's going to have some nerves in the first half, and he may not play good for the first two or three drives. And to be fair, it is the Super Bowl. I would be nervous, and I can't imagine how he's be, he would be feeling in this type of situation. But I would say... The offense needs to look at, you know, some easier completions for him, maybe some RPOs, maybe some screens, just to give him a little bit of confidence, just so he has the ability to work off the play action that the run game provides. I think that people think that the Rams are a throwing offense, when in reality, they're actually like, they're very reliant on the run. And what they use to set up the pass is, is essentially the run, and they use that to set up, like, you know, play action, which is one of the, like, the the biggest parts of their offense, and Defensively, what they need to do is keep Joe Burrow inside the pocket. Joe Burrow could beat the Rams if he's able to extend plays and find his, you know, find his outlets downfield, whether it's T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, or even Jamar Chase. I think that he has the potential to, you know, break the Rams defense if he's going to play from outside of the pocket. But if what the Rams can do is hopefully punish him and basically make him make him feel pressured and contain him in the pocket with a four man rush, that'd be that'd be really, really big because I think Joe Burrow is one of those type of quarterbacks that if you blitz him, he loves it because it makes him it it makes him like it makes him honestly it it simplifies the game for him. If he knows that he has a five man pressure, he knows there's gonna be somebody open. You know what I mean? So if the Rams are able to pressure Joe Burrow with a four man rush, that'd be really, really big. And I have no doubt that they are going to get a lot of pressure on him. And uh, I think my last key for the Rams is to feed OBJ and Cooper Cup. I don't want to see the type of game where Cooper Cup is getting like most of his receptions in the second half. Obviously, I think you should throw to him in the biggest moments of the game. Uh, but I do, th- I do think that it'd be pretty vital for um, the Rams' offense to feed him from the start. Um, I think that um, I think that he, if he can get hot, especially in the first or second quarter. I think that the the Bengals defense won't really have an answer for him at all, and OBJ as well. If if the if the Bengals do focus all their t- attention on Cooper Cup, you have arguably the best number two in the NFL. So you have to feed one of them, and they will both step up big time. So yeah, I think that yeah. the the goals for this game would just be for the Rams to run the ball and. Don't commit turn- turnovers and just be able to keep Joe Burrow in the pocket. Those are the three biggest goals for them. Yeah,
0: as long as Stafford doesn't force anything, he doesn't need to force. You know, he should. He's got he's got kind of a pick your poison scenario with uh, with um, uh Odell Beckham and Cooper Cup. So you know, whichever one takes up most of the most of the secondary, you know, you go to that guy and throwing options. And yeah, if they can get this run started, they can get this Bengals defense antsy. So I think I think that's exactly what they could do to use their run to open up plays for their passing, and that's honestly why they've been so successful this season. I think you hit the hit the um hit the center of the dartboard with that one. That's kinda kinda how it goes with the Rams offense. Now right, going on to the Bengals. What the Bengals need to do is the Bengals need to come up in the fourth quarter. If you look at how the Bengals have made have got here, you know, they've had Uh, a pretty good last 30 seconds versus the Titans where, you know, the defense came up, interception, big play to Jamar Chase by Joe Burrow, and then that sets up for an Evan McPherson field goal. If this game is close, I I really believe the Bengals can win it. You know what I mean? Although, let's give credit to the Rams. They've had two really good close games uh, in which they almost lost to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers fourth-quarter comeback. And uh, they almost lost to uh, the 49ers in which they came back and I believe they won by one possession either way, both both crazy games and you know the Rams were the Rams uh, the Rams came up in the final minute too, which is you know what the Bengals did against uh, the Chiefs and the Titans. So really what the Bengals have to do is they got to be good in that fourth quarter and you know it's not really the thing I'm worried about some specific things that they, they need to do as a team. Is they need to get pressure if they can make stafford feel antsy you see the kind of decisions that stafford makes there's a reason he has all those pick sixes not saying he's a bad quarterback but if you make him feel uncomfortable you know he's, he's one of the easier quarterbacks to make him feel uncomfortable that's kind of one of the downsides to him he, he can uh, he can panic at times and this Bengals defense is very underrated they get a lot of pressures and they make they make the big plays every now and then. They're here because of this defense. This defense is a big factor in getting them here. As long as the other two parts, are or as long with the other two parts, you know, they are a big reason. They're kind of the most underrated reason of the of the three. But yeah, the Bengals' game plan should be to schedule big rushes to make sure you can get a lot of pressure on Stafford, get him off to a slow start, and try to continue that in the second half. And on the offensive side of the ball, it's kind of the same thing. They got two thousand yard receivers. So they have two guys that they can really throw to. They also have a great tight end and Uzama, pretty underrated. So as long as they can get the ball out quick, uh, then they should be good. I think this is going to be more of a, an unfamiliar like Bengals team to us. You know, you're not going to see all those like crazy huge plays this game. You're going to see a few, but eventually when the O line uh, when you can't rely on the O line to win this battle, so when the O line does lose some plays, you got to get that quick, that quick little uh, pass, and you got to call that you know outside run or that inside run. You just got to get the ball out quick because if it becomes a long play against this Rams team, that's a lot scarier. So you want a bit more fast paced of an offense, you know, kind of like what the Bengals were uh, the last time they were good, like 30 years ago. They were known for, you know snapping the ball a crazy amount of times. They were known for those 2-minute drills and that's, you know, that happened right until they met their demise against the 49ers, but uh the Bengals got to be good in the 4th quarter, got to get pressure and got to get the ball out quick. That's the game plan for them.
1: Yeah, I also think one of their I think this might be a little bit weird to say, but actually I think they should feed Joe Mixon. I think that the Rams defense might, you know, might Focus on the passing game, but I think that Joe Mixon's like quietly had like a really really great season, and I really feel like although he might not be able to get anything going in the running game because the Rams' uh, defensive line will probably shut down most of that, you know. But I wouldn't be surprised if we do if we do see him get a fair amount of receptions underneath. They need to feed him the ball and get him in open space, but it'd be really effective for Joe Burrow to have a good checkdown option in this game when he's under a lot of pressure and most likely facing a lot of blitzes. So. Joe, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Joe Mixon quietly has quite a good game, especially in the receiving department. So I, I would probably say um, just get him the ball in space in the same way you'd want to feed Chase, you know what I mean? I would I would feed Mixon, whether it be on like a halfback swing, maybe you give him a screen or something like that earlier in the game. I would I would keep on feeding him the ball because you might end up in, in the type of game in the third or fourth quarter where you can't really run the ball that much. So you want to be able to at least uh, feed him the ball in the receiving game.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. You gotta, you gotta get Joe Mixon involved early, especially because of, uh, you know, you don't want to go. I know the Bengals are a team where you don't want to go, uh, play long game long plays with them because they are pretty good in those, but the Rams are also a team like this. And I don't think the Bengals have faced as scary of uh, of a pass rush, you know, maybe the Titans, but like, you know, nothing compares to this Rams pass rush. This is historically like, crazy just the players they have on it but yeah should be should be a close game and uh i don't think there will be a lot of mistakes this game i think it's going to end up being close and you know hopefully the Bengals' game plan uh goes according to what they want and you know hopefully they can get those balls out quick
1: yeah so moving on now with our fifth topic this might be one of our favorite topics that we've ever covered but it's going to be what Super Bowl matchup does this remind you of? So there's a lot of ways you can view this matchup. You can view it as a, an old quarterback versus a new quarterback. You can view it as, um, you know, a super team versus a underdog team. You can take it a lot of different ways. But I first, my first thought when I thought of this game is I thought it was the 2007 Super Bowl Giants versus New England Patriots. And The reason why I think that is for the Patriots, they're the Rams in this situation. They've had a great season with a really good head coach good quarterback performance, and a historic wide receiver season. And overall, they have a very balanced team, and they don't really have any holes in their team. They're just regarded as, you know, basically like the like the, the giant that needs to be slaved in this game. But there just happens to be that one team that wasn't supposed to really be here, but they got here. And that is the Bengals in this situation. They were the New York Giants of that year. They're huge underdogs, but to be fair, I think everybody's kind of rooting for them in their hearts and they also have, you know, a great quarterback who's played really, really well in this playoff run. And Eli Manning's playoff run that year, he still has the most yards by any quarterback in four playoff games. And those, and those four playoff games, nobody has more yards than him passing. So I really feel like Joe Burrow's legend was built in this playoff run that he's had this year, but in the, in, the, in the same way, that's how Eli Manning really gained his credibility in that playoff run. So the real question is though how will the defense how will the defense respond to the Bengals? how will the defense respond to a great offense and the giants case their defense really carried them throughout that game they had a really great pass rush that disrupted you know a great quarterback in tom brady and if you look at it although they might not have you know they might not have michael strahan they have two guys that are quite good they have uh trey hendrickson and they also have um i'm looking on the other guy's name right now sorry but um yeah, they have they have they have a pretty good pass rush when they've showed up, especially I think in the Raiders game and also in the um in the Chiefs game, they had quite good pass rush, especially in the second half. So I mean, the similarities are pretty are are pretty much there, but the final similarity will will the Bengals be able to knock off, you know, the super team? Will they be able to upset the upset the Patriots or up and, and will the Giants the Giants are able to upset the Patriots, but will the Bengals be able to upset the Rams? And that's gonna be the question, but yeah. That's a game that reminded yeah. me of most.
0: Um, well, th- this game reminded me the most of uh, Ravens versus 49ers. Uh, it was the first Super Bowl I've ever watched. And if you just think of how they got there, that's the thing that really reminds me of it. So we got to factor in the context of how uh, that Super Bowl came to be. And uh, the the Ravens had to get past uh, I believe it was MVP Pan and Manning, probably the greatest regular season of all time where he dropped like 55 touchdowns. I don't know, like the the greatest season by a quarterback ever was just shattered by the Ravens, you know, in the divisional, the Mile High Miracle uh, or whatever they call it, the, the Mile High Hail Mary. You know, the Ravens got there in kind of a similar fashion and how the uh. And how the Bengals got there, because the Bengals they also had to get past a, a crazy good quarterback who was having a great season. They had to get past Patrick Mahomes, who you know, imagine if Patrick Mahomes won the Super Bowl, it'd be scary for the rest of the NFL, and he would distance himself from other young quarterbacks. So you know that the the fact that the Bengals got here kind of reminded me of that. And let's let's look at uh, let's look at the other side, the NFC. Uh, Let's look at the 49ers compared to the Rams. Um, uh, the 49ers uh, were a great team. You know, they also had a very young, uh, very young quarterback uh, in Colin Kaepernick, who you know at the time he was rushing all over defenses in the in the NFL. Uh, and they also had a killer defensive line. Same with the Ravens. Both of them had both of them had killer defensive lines. I believe that was Ray Lewis's last game. And you know, one thing the 49ers did was uh, was they got a lot of they got a lot of pressure that game, and they did disturb Joe Flacco a bit, especially in the second half. They didn't get that much pressure in the first half, but you know, they really almost lost that game because they couldn't uh, get the pressure. It was actually close defense that uh, reminded me of it. And the real thing that kind of that ties it all together is you know, I'm just going to make a comparison. Joe Burrow and Colin Kaepernick. I think like Colin Kaepernick's career would be the bad ending for Joe Burrow because if you look at Colin Kaepernick's career, he had two crazy seasons, uh, and I believe it was his—I uh, believe that was his second season or third season in the NFL—that uh, he got to that Super Bowl. And he didn't play well in the first half, but he did play really well in the second half. And you know, after that, his career was uh, wasn't the same after that loss. So you know. Two young quarterbacks both getting it into a Super Bowl, you know, beating some good teams. 49ers had – yeah, the 49ers had to beat the 14-2 and two, uh, Atlanta Falcons, and, you know, that was a crazy – that was a crazy team that year. So, you know, that was a crazy game that uh, that happened in the Super Bowl. And honestly, I just – I see the resemblance between uh, Joe Burr and Colin Kaepernick, both decently mobile, both – you know, came up with clutch runs in the playoffs. And I also see the resemblance between the Rams defensive line and the Ravens defensive line. I also see the resemblance in the path that the Ravens took to get to the Super Bowl and the path that the Bengals took to get to the Super Bowl. So that's the one that came to mind out of all of the Super Bowls that I can recall.
1: Yeah, I like that one. And I feel like that's a very overlooked Super Bowl for a lot of different reasons. But if you really look at that Super Bowl in general, it was Ray Lewis's last game. It was the Shanahan. It was I believe it was. Um, oh, sorry. It was the Harballs versus one another. It was uh, Jim yeah, and John. Was, yeah. so that was, that was that was crazy to have two brothers coaching a Super Bowl, and then you just have um, just a crazy game in general. You have like a really really big lead that with the Ravens, and you have like Jacoby Jones literally having like the game of his life, having like two touchdowns, and one of them was an opening kickoff that he that he opening kickoff of the second half that he ran all the way back. Um. Then you have the 49ers storming back and really that's just like one of the craziest games just in NFL history. Also with like the blackout when they lost power like following halftime and there was like a good 30 minutes where nobody knew what was going on. And it was just, you know, it was just like pitch black in the stadium. So yeah, yeah. just that, that game in general was just crazy. And I, yeah, I, I, it's crazy that I feel like we forget about that game and I really do see the comparison that you're trying to draw. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Especially, um, especially with the pass on how they got to get here, that uh, Mahomes defeat by Burrow is going to be historic. And you know, if he wins this, if he wins this uh, Super Bowl after that, uh, you know, this would be one of the craziest starts to the NFL to an NFL career ever. So, looking forward to seeing how this game can go. Okay, now I believe that takes us to our last topic, which is just end of the season thoughts. Or actually, we have, uh, yeah, yeah, end of the season thoughts. So. You know, one thing I'd like to point out from the end of the season is that this really is a new era. We kind of touched on it earlier, but, you know, seeing Matthew Stafford in the Super Bowl and seeing a second-year quarterback like Joe Burrow in the Super Bowl, that's kind of crazy to see. You know what I mean? So, you know, that's that's just one of the things that uh, reminds me of it. I think we got a People's Super Bowl, but, you know, I think if we look back in the Super Bowl in five years, we may not view it as, like, you know, the Super Bowl we all have wanted because – You know, maybe Joe Burrow would be some crazy, uh, crazy guy with three rings or, you know, the Rams are going to trade like their uh, first round picks for the next 30 years and just have basically the (laughs) NFC, uh, NFC uh, all pro game. You know, they're going to have all the all pro players and pro bowlers. So, you know, this could this is the. This is the start of an era, but, you know, we may not like the Super Bowl of the future because it creates some other problems and it forms some dynasties that we don't want to see in the next era.
1: Yeah, I do like that idea of, like, the new versus the old as well. I I think this is just with Tom Brady retiring. um, It really feels like Stafford, maybe Matt Ryan, Fitzmagic, and honestly, maybe Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers are, like, the last few quarterbacks of the old generation that are left. And really, it's Aaron Rodgers is the only one that's like seriously left from like that generation. But Drew Brees is gone. Now Tom Brady's gone. Big Ben just retired. Philip Rivers retired. There's just so many notable quarterbacks that really built our childhood that are gone now. And then you have just like the new guard, you have Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, you know, Patrick Mahomes. And now we have Joe Burrow. And there's so many great young quarterbacks. But it is really interesting to see how like their play styles compared to the old to like the older quarterbacks Aaron Rodgers is a bit of an exception but primarily like Peyton Manning Drew Brees Tom Brady were all specifically pocket passers but now we have almost just like innovative like like outside the pocket mobile like huge arms just like just like players that are really really fun to watch and it's just like I'm not saying that it wasn't fun to watch Tom Brady or Peyton Manning I'm just saying it's just a different differentiation and style. And it's just crazy to think about how this is the new generation. It is this is a new, like, you know, blueprint for what a quarterback should be like. Um, I also think that it's just important to mention that Tom Brady is now like, obviously he has not completely closed the door on it, but Tom Brady is now actually retired. And he literally had an MVP caliber season in his last season. He could have kept on going. And, you know, it's just crazy. It's just crazy to think though, just after all the time he's, in the nfl and you know there's literally like two errors of tom brady and they're both all of fame careers you yeah. have like 10 years with like with the patriots then you have like the like the last like you know like 10 years with the patriots and then it's years with the bucks and it literally involves like like three or four super bowls in each like one mvp in each and then like yeah. a boatload of stats in every single one and it's just so crazy to see like literally the goat just retire, and it still i don't think it really hit most people yet
0: no, it certainly hasn't hit me. Yeah. Um, another, uh, another takeaway I have, this will probably be my last one before I let you get some, but another takeaway I have is you got to surround your starting quarterbacks with some skill. If you look at Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence, just uh, uh, what do you call him? Probably, Justin Fields. And, you know, like look at these guys. They're put in situations in which they can't thrive. And, you know, once again, we're talking about new quarterbacks, but, uh, you know, they're put in situations that they can't thrive. And I don't think NFL franchises should draft quarterbacks if they don't have the talent to surround them with. So I think, you know, maybe if you have that star quarterback that you could get, yeah, take him. But make sure you can do everything to get that talent around him or else you will fail. Like, for instance, I feel like Trevor Lawrence, despite his terrible situation, he kind of had an underwhelming season. I think, you know, most NFL fans can agree on that. Same with Zach Wilson, Justin Fields. Also, if you look at uh, you know, Mac Jones, who is the only quarterback in the first round who's put in a decent position to win. I guess you could say Trey Lance, but he didn't really play. Uh and look at that and you know, Mac Jones had probably the second best offensive season behind Jamar Chase. Unless I mean I guess you can include Lyman so we can mention like Green, Humphrey, and Rashawn Slater, but like of skill positions, it's, you know, Mac Jones had a crazy season. You know, let's not act like that wasn't uh, the surroundings that helped him do that. Obviously, Mac Jones is good. I'm not going to go around and say the system like Mac Jones is a system quarterback, or well, he kind of is because it's his first season. But Mac Jones is so much more than that, and he will be so much more than that if uh, if he continues to progress. But you know, you really got to highlight. How much you need to surround these young quarterbacks? Because you know one crazy stat that I saw the other day is Justin Fields. All of his t- all of his throwing touchdowns are garbage time throwing touchdowns, and that's kind of crazy. That's kind of crazy to think about because uh, because um, that means he's playing all the all the bum players, or he's playing when it's not really you know uh, time to play. And that just shows you it, they can't get things started because they don't have you know players to start things. So you know. You really got to surround these players, and I think Mac Jones is a perfect, perfect uh, example on how to draft a quarterback and turn that quarterback into a franchise quarterback because he's off to a great start, while the other quarterbacks, not so much.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting to just talk about rookie performances in general and also rookie quarterbacks because this rookie quarterback class was just so hyped. Um, it was, it was really, really hyped between. Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields. And, um, you know, it's just really interesting to see how everything's going to play out. You know, I, I honestly can't really say how I feel about these quarterbacks in general, just because they're just such complicated in different situations. You can give Justin Fields some, you know, some slack for the situation that he was in with, you know, with Matt Nagy and also his offense. But at the same time, you can also, you know, still be critical of him. And then with Jack uh, Wilson, it's something similar with obviously being the Jets starting quarterback, but also what comes with being the Jets starting quarterback and what, what exactly he's surrounded with. So it's really interesting to think about that. But um, also, one of my other notes was that the NFL, I think, did a great job with handling the 17-game season. They were able to, I, I feel at least, along with that, handle like, COVID relatively well. Um and I also th- and I also think that the NFL did a good job with um with their marketing. I know this isn't specifically them, but I think the I think the, the the Manning brothers um on ESPN too is like a great thing to have for Monday night football. And I really think it like brought a different side out of, you know, two different two different very different like players. Um Obviously, the Mannings are always going to be a class act, and they're a very, very famous football family. But just like turning on ESPN two and seeing like Eli Manning wearing a Cheney got from Snoop Dogg is just like you know, it's really, really funny. Um, but yeah, just just added a nice fold to the to the game that I hadn't really seen before. So it's it's just nice, and I think the NFL just did a great job overall this season with um, with everything. Just really, really exceptional. Yeah, it was
0: certainly a well handled season. If uh... If you look at the ratings, I believe it was the best rating since, like, 2017 or something. So, you know, best ratings in the past five years. NFL is really doing a good job with marketing. And, yeah, I would agree everybody likes the man and Cast. You know, the only thing I'm kind of waiting on is seeing the Marshawn Lynch the ESPN show. That would be really funny. <laughs> because if you saw Marshawn Lynch on the Cast, he was just cursing up a storm. I think the only thing is uh, you would kind of have to put a curse word restriction on it because that would maybe be the only marketing issue with Marshawn Lynch. But, you know, really good to listen to people like that. Yeah, certainly a great marketing season by the NFL. Also a really good job handling COVID. A lot of people had worries that NFL players would uh, sit out if the NFL made uh, every player get vaccinated. But they did punish the unvaccinated players, which was, you know, something you need, uh, something you need to do if you're going to try to keep your league safe. Uh, but they also gave them the opportunity to play. And it's not like, you know, the NBA, for instance, they didn't handle that that well because they had players like uh, Kyrie Irving who had to sit out like, you know, half the season. Nobody wants to see a top 15 player in the league sit out because of non-football issues. You know what I mean? So I think the NFL did a great job finding a equilibrium among those two clashing sides. And NFL really handled business this year
1: yeah I, I I couldn't agree more. And also, uh, another good thing about like the NFL to the season was having fans back. I really yeah. feel like it brought a different like just a different environment. And it was really nice to see just to go from uh, watching NFL games and just kind of like just you could literally hear what was happening on the field. But now you can just see, you know, how actually how much fans actually affect games and stuff like that um and i really think it's gonna be crazy i i honestly don't know if like the rams are gonna have that big of a home field advantage even though they're playing at their home stadium because if you look how passionate Bengals fans are compared to how passionate like la rams fans are it's actually like insanely different so yeah. i wouldn't be surprised if we have a lot of Bengals fans that are flying all the way out from cincinnati to see this <laughs> game. but um but yeah, it's just really nice to have fans back and to have like uh, stadiums full again. So yeah, um, it was just it just been a good season, and it's nice to look back on it. I'm sure there's some things that we're forgetting, such as like you know great games, great moments. But um, if, yeah, I, if yeah, I'm trying to remember correctly, there there's just some awesome games that I remember. Like one of the one of the best ones off the top of my head was uh, the Ravens versus Colts, and it was Lamar Jackson's oh, yeah. comeback. Um, Man, that, that I and mean, then that was like one of Mark Andrews. Like, Mark Andrews had like a two hundred yard game or yeah, something like that.
0: Like forty five on fantasy that day yeah. something like
1: that. Yeah, I'm yeah. um, trying to think of what else. Then you have, I think, also again, like the the Ravens and the Raiders had like a crazy like first five weeks. Like, I I think I still remember opening opening uh like opening weekend when the um the Raiders played the um the Ravens and it went down into overtime. Man, like there's just just some crazy moments that I'm just like, I'm just recalling now that just like show how great the season was.
0: Yeah. Now, I think we're going to like five years from now, we're going to be looking at the 2021, 2022 season, like, you know, how we look at 2016 music. You know what I mean? Like, this is going to be the season to remember. We had a great regular season. The last game of the regular season, Rams versus, or not Rams, uh, uh, Chargers versus, uh, Raiders you know that was probably the best regular season game good way to end it off and then you know two weeks later we ended off with a crazy divisional game probably the best divisional game I've ever seen probably the best two minutes of football not only was marketing good but the NFL was just great this season it was a good good time to be a fan of the NFL especially considering you know what we were talking about earlier in that Rams Patriots Super Bowl was just (laughs) horrible you know four years later we're here you know what I mean Good job by the NFL. Great playoffs. Great regular season. Kept it interesting this year. Great marketing. That was really good year to be a football fan.
1: Yeah, and I think with that, it's a it's a good way for us to look back and reflect. And I think probably end this episode off with. So this will be the season. Yeah, this will be this is our season. And you know, obviously we've had our up and downs, but we I think we've done a pretty good job throughout this playoffs of you know putting out some good content. And just want to thank everybody that stayed along and you know listen throughout all of this and we're hoping to step up a little bit more when the regular season hits around but thank you for listening for this you know this playoff run it's been a really really good one and it's been you know it's been a one and i enjoyed just you know being a being a football fan during this time so yeah thank you everybody for listening so much and i hope that we have a great super bowl sunday
0: yeah hope to see you all next season we'll certainly have a production a lot better, and we'll be able to learn from this season. But thank you for sticking with us this season. Hope we can see you next one. All right, I think I'm going to say my final goodbye. Goodbye, guys.
1: Thank you. Bye.